Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. Coming up later, I got to warn you what's going on at the car dealer that can hurt your wallet for years and years and years. Right now, I want to talk about years and years and years. Be very careful and wary if you are looking at a special offer for internet for your home or small business. There's a big push to something that used to be common, and that is to get you into a contract for high-speed internet from the phone company or the cable company for your home or business. The reason for this is something that dovetails was something that came up several years ago. And it was when the cable companies, phone companies, and satellite players tried to get you to sign a long-term contract with massive cancellation fees for your television, for your pay TV. Why? Because they knew better than we did that the new streaming services were coming along and they wanted you as their prisoner with the new streams coming along. So now most people have been rolling out of those contracts and the take-up rate with people going to streaming services and cutting the cord from pay TV has really accelerated. But it allowed having you in those contracts allowed the pay TV people to keep you in overpriced contracts for a long time. So now fast forward, the people that provide internet to your home or business are looking at the launches just in the last few weeks of the first deployments of what's known as 5G, which is ultra-fast wireless internet to your home or business. This is a new technology for sending signals over what we used to call the cellular network, wireless networks. And the prices of this with the competition that are coming will be more favorable. But one of the most significant things is the cable monopolies have imposed these draconian data caps for having internet service from them, in addition to now pushing the contracts with the huge early termination fees. So they want to be able to meter you past a certain amount of data and charge you massive amounts for going over the data allotment in a month with how much people are dependent on internet in their homes, especially if you're streaming video in your home, you're going to have the overages. Well, in the midst of that, with the launches of these new high-speed wireless networks, you're going to be able to get unlimited data, T-Mobile launching the first offer at 50 bucks a month that they're rolling out in various communities, and again, unlimited data for 50 a month that can stay with you or travel with you for what's known as fixed wireless internet service for your home or business. AT&T and Verizon, because they also sell the home internet, are more tentative with the pricing plans they're offering for the new 5G networks, and they're still trying to get the bugs out of it. Verizon's first launch city, Chicago and Minneapolis, and they're not covering anywhere near the whole metro areas yet, but the speeds are lightning fast, much faster 
than you have with most home internet services available to you. And AT&T has just launched in a bunch of cities. Again, not the whole metro areas. They're only launching in parts of cities. But it is happening quicker than insiders in the industry thought it would happen. And the reason that's true is competition. That's the big change. You know, cable monopolies didn't have a lot of incentive to innovate, to advance, to offer people better products, services, and prices. But now we're moving into this ultra-competitive era, and no matter what they offer you, do not sign a contract with a wired internet like cable or wired internet from a phone company that brings a wire to you unless you're willing to live with the cancellation penalty you have to pay. Just so you know, AT&T now has the ultra-high speed available in parts of 19 metro areas, and over the next year, this will become something that is really useful to you in most mid-size and large metro areas in the country. But the biggest beneficiaries of all this, the most overlooked population in America, and that's people who live in extreme distant suburbs or in rural areas, will now have a great alternative for wireless internet at their homes or businesses. Lonnie is with us. Hi, Lonnie. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Lonnie. Hope everything's great in your world. Uh, it's pretty good, yes. I'm just very privileged to be talking to you. I think a lot of you. Well, you're kind to say that. How can I serve you? Well, let's see. About eight years ago, my oldest daughter got married, and I took out a unsecured loan from uh, one of the mega banks. In the meantime, I uh, subsequently have paid that off and... Because of your advice, we got out of the mega bank altogether and are with a credit union now. I've had a zero balance on the unsecured uh, loan for a while, a long time. And I just got to thinking, is you treat that the same way that you do the, the second credit card? You mean, would it be a good idea for you to leave that open rather than close that line? Yes. Yes, with one exception. If okay. you were going to be buying a new home... Okay. The mortgage underwriters get really nervous about those lines of credit sure. being open. But other than applying for a mortgage, having that line of credit there will be valuable to you in your overall credit scoring mix. Okay. There's no fee for you having it, is there? No, no fee. So you can just let it sit there. And at some point, the bank may say, hey, use this or lose it. Okay. At that point, lose it. Okay. But until that time, I, I would just leave it be. Okay. I don't need to use it twice a year like a second credit card. Well, for it to remain active in your mix, it will show in your history, and I think you're fine with the line of credit just sitting there. Okay. I, I may read something later that I'm like, oops, I should have told you to use it, but I don't think it has the urgency that it would with a credit card. Okay. So well, that's great news. You like your son-in-law? Oh, yeah. I love him. Okay, great. great. And I have a eight-year-old grandson, and I have a five-year-old granddaughter. Oh, that's fantastic. Isn't that? Yeah. Well, have a great day, and 
I'm so glad the wedding's all paid for. Randy's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Randy. Hey, Clark. How you doing? Great. Thank you, Randy. What's going on with you? Well, first, I want to thank you for taking my call. I listen to your show every chance I get, so I feel it's a privilege to be talking to you. Well, it's a privilege for me to have you here, Randy. And you have something that's got you worried. Uh, You want to run by me. Tell me. Well, I know you have some rental properties. I've heard that on your uh, on your show, and I need well, I need to uh, do a background check, and also I I would like to if there is some way that I can do a credit check, and it's not going to cost anything. I've checked, and they all, everyone wants your credit card number, and I don't want to give it to them. Yeah, so let me tell you the drill on this. The normally the prospective tenant is the one who pays. So okay. when you do a, a rental application. You have to get the tenant's permission to run his or her credit or run a background check. Okay. So you have to be specific in your rental app that you are seeking their signature, their written permission for you to run either a credit check or a background check, including criminal or both. Okay. And whatever it costs you, normally that's what you would charge the prospective tenant for doing it. And anybody who's ever been a tenant knows that you pay a rental application fee. And what they do normally is they do run background on you. So in theory, it should not cost you. Now, I've got a couple of sources that I would recommend to you that you check out to do this. Mm -hmm. One of them is mysmartmove.com. Okay. And with it, the applicant would normally pay and another is cozy c-o-z-y and it's dot c-o not dot com have you been there yet no no so it's set up as a whole suite of things for you as a landlord including a process to help you collect your rent more easily Mm -hmm. and if you just want to kind of check somebody out without it being like an official kind of thing. There's a site that has been popular for a number of reasons. People who might be going out on a blind date or whatever, just whatever it is that people want to check background on people called pq.com, P-W-E-K-Y-O-U.com. Okay. But again, before you do any backgrounding on a tenant, make sure you have written permission because otherwise you could get in a heap of trouble. Well, I appreciate that information, Clark. I'll make sure I follow your uh, your suggestions. And you will, um, if you're like most people who are landlords, you will love being a landlord. Occasionally people get into it and they think, what was I thinking? I hate this, but I love doing it. Great. Good luck. Lori's with us. Lori, I'd yes. like to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show. What's going on with your daughter? Well, I have an almost 18-year-old who will be going to college this fall. And just through savings and graduation money, she probably has around $4,000 that is just sitting in a savings account. And I just didn't know, you know what advice she would have as to where I could put that money to make the most bang for her buck. And it's money she's going to use over the next couple of years? No. No. She will not use it. And oh. She probably won't need this for five, at least five years. Five years. At okay. least five or more. Mm-hmm. All right. And does she work part-time? No, she does not. So it's just money, money sitting there. Just money. Mm-hmm. 
there's not an easy answer. Uh, there's okay. not something I can say, oh, automatically do this okay. when it's uh, a window of maybe five years because that puts you more in the category of a saver earning piddly rates than an investor because the risk in a time period up to five years is you could lose money rather than keep that 4000 as 4000 so well, what, what years how many years then i apologize i would say years? seven or more is when you can feel steadily more comfortable about being an investor instead of okay. being a saver okay well what would you recommend i mean i just know that i'll, I'll tell you simple account. simple as could be that the best place i would say is the total stock market index fund or a 500 stock index fund where it's just simply invested in the stock market. Okay. And the longer the investment window becomes, the easier choice that is. And the costs on those, if you go with one of the low-cost providers, is like nothing to invest in that kind of thing. And I don't know if you've seen, I've got my investment guide at Clark.com. Okay. Uh If you go look at it, I'll walk you through with some of the choices there, those very, very inexpensive index funds. And I'd want her to do it. She's 18. Have her open the account so she feels some ownership of it and starts to understand what she's invested in, how it works. Travis is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Travis. Hey, Clark. Real pleasure to talk with you. Well, I want to thank you so much for your service to our country. You're in in the Army? Yes, I'm in the Army Reserve. Well, thank you for that. And for people who are not aware, reservists sign up to have their lives disrupted on very short notice. And what's happening in your case? Yeah, that's true. So I just found out I am deploying for nine months. So we've decided that it would be best for my wife to move home, you know, so she's close with family while I'm gone. The plan is when I return home from my deployment, I would like to go back to school, finish my PhD. My issue is I'm not sure what to do with the home. We have a mortgage. It's a nice house. We think we could rent it out, but the other option is selling it. But there's also, you know, the hassle factor of me being gone. So I just wanted to see what your uh, what your advice or guidance is on how to think about what to do with our home. So if I have this right, nine months later, you're going right back to the town where you own this house. No, Clark. I, I would be relocating to uh, to another state. Oh, if you're relocating the house that you have... How far away are you going to be likely where you would relocate to? Well, fortunately, I know exactly. It's a, it would be in Kentucky. So I live in Charlotte, but it's the University of Kentucky. So that's about an eight-hour drive. Sell it. Okay. Yeah, that that's a case where you're leaving something behind that would just be, there'd be too much hassle factor. Okay. And have you made any money on it, at least on paper, in the time you've owned the house? Yes, we owe about 200. I think it's worth 225. All right. You're not going to clear much after selling costs, selling expenses, okay. but I think that it's best to move on to sell that house. Okay. If you told me uh, and I misunderstood you that you're going to go back there after your deployment and again, thank you for your service. And if you told me you were going back there, I'd say, "Yeah, put it on hold essentially by renting it, but since you know you're not going back, then that needs to just be sold. Yeah, I think the hassle factor, um, I think that, that, would, that would be a lot cleaner and don't have to stress about them not paying or, or whatever the case. 
And what's your PhD going to be in? So, Clark, you're probably not going to believe me. It's uh, it's in music, actually. It's music, musicology. My whole background was I'm a classical pianist. I have a bachelor's and master's in music. And University of Kentucky gave me a complete full-ride offer. They're going to pay for school. They're giving me a job um, once I get there. So it's a great opportunity, which is why I'm wanting to up and relocate to, to take that opportunity. Wow. What a deal. And what rank are you in the Army? I'm a first lieutenant, but... I will likely get, they told me they would probably promote me while I'm down there uh, to captain once I get down. All right. Well, First Lieutenant, future captain, best to you and be safe on your deployment. I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Uh, Our main website, Clark.com. When you have a question for me, go to Clark.com slash ask. And if you specifically, we have lots of ways that we can provide you advice, information, answer questions. If you specifically want me to answer your question for you, there's a box you can check. And who knows, we may be with each other right here on the show. So over the years, going back from my very first book forever ago, I've written 10 I talked in that first book about why you should never go into a car dealer without having arranged your financing first, preferably at a credit union, only as a consolation prize at a bank. Credit unions write vehicle loans so much cheaper than anybody else. But as I've said all through the years, most people don't do that homework before they end up at a dealer. And overwhelmingly, people finance their vehicles at the dealer. Well, now, the percent doing so, according to J.D. Power, is the highest percent ever are wasting usually thousands of dollars over the life of a vehicle loan by financing it at the vehicle dealer, at the car dealer. Because now, roughly 85% of vehicle buyers are financing at the dealer. So you might really comparison shop on the cost of the vehicle you're buying. You may uh, get multiple quotes and all that and not spend a second thinking about the money you're going to use to pay for that vehicle. And so you may be missing the bigger, more important money by not doing this work right up front. Uh, If you go to a credit union, usually you're going to get a vehicle loan a point and a half lower than you'll get it from a bank, and you'll get it usually about four and a half interest points lower than you will at a car dealer. So, I mean, it's your money. It's your choice. But here's one of the things of the tricks of the trade. If you do what I've suggested and you go arrange financing in advance at a credit union and... A huge number of us are members of credit unions, but we kind of forget they're there. You then have something that if the dealer really wants to write the loan, they'll take a lower profit on it to try to steal that business from the credit union, and they may, in fact, if they can, match the credit union. But if you go in there and you haven't done this step, you're going to pay a huge amount more, paying massively more in interest every single month for all the years of that car or truck or SUV loan. 
So I got to break you that habit. I mean, think about this. 15% of people are either paying cash or arranging financing in advance. The other 85% decide, hey, I want to be a sitting duck. I want to rip my wallet apart. And I'm just going to show up, not prepared, and say, charge me what you want. Bad idea. Here's something else, too. I saw this in a Wall Street Journal item. Half, roughly, of new vehicle buyers are buying an extended warranty at the time you take delivery of your vehicle. Now, as I've said in the past, I'm neutral on extensions of vehicle warranties, but you should only ever buy one from the manufacturer itself. The dealer can write that for you, but you want the manufacturer's own. But don't ever buy one at the time you're taking delivery of a new vehicle. You have a manufacturer's warranty that's got years to run. You can buy the extension at any time during those years, as long as you stay under the mileage cap of the original manufacturer's warranty. You have the ability after the fact to make a deal on what you pay for that manufacturer's warranty, putting different uh, manufa- different dealerships for that manufacturer into competition with each other. But wait, there's more. Huge percent of buyers of a new vehicle get rid of it before they're done with the original manufacturer's warranty. They don't like the car. They can't afford it. Their life changes. They get a company car, whatever. And you've already paid a zillion dollars for that extended service contract you bought from the dealer at the time you bought the new vehicle. Big mistake. Also, you can wait to decide if you want to spend those thousands of dollars till you've been in the vehicle for a while and see how it performs and then decide whether or not it makes any sense at all for you to buy that extension of the warranty. You buy it up front when you buy that vehicle, often people are financing that in their deal. So not only are you paying a huge amount for that extension of warranty you might not ever find useful in your life, but then you're paying interest on it for all those years too before it would even kick in. Bad idea. Heidi is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Heidi. Yes. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. You want to talk about your son. What's happening with your son? Yes. Well, I've got a 12-year-old son. Just started a finance class at school, so the last two days when I've driven home, he's like, everybody has an allowance except me. I said, well, you earn your money. (laughs) So he, he gets paid for chores, right? Yes. Absolutely. So I don't have an objection to an allowance. You know, if you want to give him an allowance of some amount of money and then when he wants stuff, he has to pay for it and figure out what his priorities are. I mean, I don't mind an allowance just for breathing. But I do (laughs) think there's value in having chores. And we were doing that with our kids when they were younger. Both sisters are a lot older. But we used to have a chore wheel. And they had to do that every day, and we didn't give them any money for doing the chore wheel. It was just what was expected. Yes. So do you have your son do chores at 12, and he gets nothing for it, or does he get money as he completes chores? He does chores, and he does it because everybody in the family has to contribute, and uh, we pay him for extra things like wash the car or 
We dog sit so he gets paid to take care of the dogs and mow the lawn, things like that. I love that. You know, I'm old enough that I grew up before there were child labor laws where I grew up. And I had, you know, I had real jobs starting at 11. You know, I worked in a warehouse starting at 11 years old. And that probably was not safe. We didn't think that way a million years ago. Uh, But having that sense of responsibility and that you earn money, I think he's at an age that that's a great thing to do. Me too. I agree. (laughs) So uh, what's your son going to do with the money that he makes doing these various tasks? Well, it's not his money that I'm concerned with. It's thinking about college. And uh, we're, we're a little behind, possibly. I have about $20,000 set aside for him, but it's in a credit union money market. All right, I don't so want it there. If it's, <laughs> it's earning teeny tiny dividends. Yeah, I don't want it in that. So you're a California resident? Yes. California has a fantastic college savings plan. Okay. And it is, it is one of the best in America. And that money, if the real purpose of that money is for your son's college, I'd like you to put it in a 529 account with you as the owner mm-hmm. and your 12-year-old as the beneficiary. Okay. And then that money will get six years to grow tax-free and be spent tax-free on college. And whatever you add over time, add it to the California 529 plan. Okay. And what I'd like you to look at in their fund choices is I think the best choice is to put him in what's known as an age-based portfolio, Mm -hmm. where the risk level steadily reduces over these next six or seven years so that you're not going to get as much return on the money as he gets closer to college, but also with lower risk. Mm -hmm. All right. I just wasn't sure since we'd waited so long. No, you're fine. Was it even worth it? Listen, most parents with a 12-year-old have saved zero pennies for college. So don't fret at all. And if you go to Clark.com, I've got a 529 plan guide. If you put that in the search box, you'll have to skip past some of the ads that pop up first, then click on my guide, click on the California link, and in just moments, you'll have your child set up to start funding his college tax-free. And David is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, David. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you. You want to talk about getting two different kinds of credit in short order. Tell me. Right. Well, first of all, let me just thank you for all that you do. I think it's a great honor to speak to you, and I'm, I'm very appreciative, and I'm sure lots of people are as well. Well, you're kind to uh, say that. Thank you. So my wife and I, we wanted to get a home equity loan to redo our kitchen, probably in the new year sometime. And in the meantime, we only have one credit card, and I know you've talked about having a second one. So I wanted to know, should we go ahead and apply for the credit card? now or should we wait will it, how will it affect the uh the home equity loan right. do you know what each of your credit scores are kelly's is 805 and i think i'm 790 <laughs> do whatever you want <laughs> they haven't always been that way yeah but that's fantastic so if you want to go ahead if there's some kind of great deal on a card you want to grab that right now go ahead you're good to do it and the hit to your credit score will be maybe somewhere between 12 and 20 points, which will make no difference at credit scores like the two of you have in qualifying for the very best, most preferred rates on a home equity loan or a home equity line of credit. Okay. 
How long will it take you to pay back the home equity borrowing? Uh, I'm not really sure. Um, probably five years, I suppose. All right. Then I want you to concentrate on specifically a five-year home equity loan from a credit right. union. Yep. Because they offer, that is the absolute sweet spot with home equity borrowing right now is a five-year home equity loan where you get the fixed rate for the 60 months and you don't have to worry about interest rate shock. Nikhil is with us on the Clark Howard Show. And Nikhil, you want to talk about policy genius. That's right, Clark. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. I'm a huge fan of yours and, and follow you. almost all advice you give it on, on air. It's such a pleasure to talk to you right now. Thank you so much. So here's the situation. I'm mid-30s, 38 precise, and my wife is 36. I'm looking for a level-term life insurance based on your recommendations. And I was trying to get some quotes on Policy Genius. And what I come across is there are two options on policy types. One is the level-term, which is flat-level, 36 rate. And the other one is level-term with written off premium. So that's the interesting part. When I looked at it, Definitely the premium is significantly high, but... Is it like 20% I, higher, or is it more than that? Uh, not really. The per month premium would be roughly around three times. Huh? Yes. Wow. So what right. return a premium is, just so people will be aware, there are a small number of insurers that will sell you a term policy that if you outlive the coverage period, not only have you lived longer than the coverage period, but they'll return all the money to you that you paid. Right. So here is the thing. The life expectancy in my family, especially the males, are, are beyond 70 years. So if I'm taking 30 years, I would be out of coverage around 68 and expected to be okay and hopefully be able to get the money back. So that's a, all good because I'm putting right now I'll get the refund back. Now, my question is not really what coverage I'm getting. The question is, what would be the tax implication when I get that the lump sum amount written? Well, it's your own money back. So there is no tax owed that I'm aware of, although 30 years from now, the tax code could work quite differently. But return a premium, I am not aware of that being taxable because it's money you already paid in that's being sent back to you. Okay. There may be, uh, I guess at some point it could be interpreted that you got something for it that uh, you should have paid for and that, the, that there's a difference that's taxed, but I've not heard of it being a taxable event. Okay. And the premium which I pay every month or lump sum in annually, is it a tax deductible? Is it tax deductible? Yeah. No, only in the event that it was a business that owned it and it was legitimate business expenses, key person insurance. And we've just verified that as for now, there's no taxation on return of premium. Okay, sounds good. All right, but as to whether return of premium is a good idea or not, they can give you a decent return on your money. When you do return a premium, it's usually an embedded return of about 6% on the money in most of the plans. I don't know if this one gave an embedded return, but so the should... reason they can give it is most people never make it, not life-wise, but in terms of paying the premiums for a full three decades. So if you're really the kind of person who's always going to make sure the premium's paid, it's to your advantage 
normally to do return a premium because other people who don't keep their policies long enough are subsidizing you. Linda's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Linda. Hi, how are you today? Great, thank you. You're trying to help out your daughter with... You talked about how the best place for employment opportunities are the small mom-and-pop companies in the areas. And she's recently relocated from Maine. She needs a start-up job. She's not really real skilled. She doesn't have a lot of experience. And I was wondering how you would suggest she find one of those little-type businesses in our area. So what you doing, first of all, what month will she thaw out from having lived in Maine year-round? <laughs> hey, it didn't take long at all. She's thawed. Because <laughs> I have a first cousin who moved to Maine, and we were all betting she would make it like one winter, and that would be it. She loves it and okay. has lived there, I think, for seven years now, year-round, and that's colder than I can handle. I think you either love it or you come back. <laughs> right. So your daughter having come back, the easiest way for her to find one of those, and I excuse the phrase, but no-name companies, you know, companies that are not household names, right, is to drive around to various business parks oh. and office parks. But business parks are easier because at the entrance, they'll have a directory of all the companies that are there. And it used to be people would get maybe get shooed away by a security officer or whatever as they're sitting there writing down company names. Now you just take your phone and you take some quick pictures of the directory and then you look up those companies online, see what businesses they're in, and go to their websites and see what jobs they might have. That's an outstanding idea. Absolutely. I never would have thought of that. And I bet you she will have a number of prospects for potential jobs in just a couple of days doing that. That's a great idea. I thank you so much. All right, and best to her with the relocation. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.